Deuteronomy 4, 44 through 5, 6. This is the law Moses set before the Israelites. These are the stipulations, decrees, and laws Moses gave them when they came out of Egypt and were in the valley near Beth Peor, east of the Jordan River, in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon and was defeated by Moses and the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. They took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan. This land extended from Aror on the rim of the Arnon Gorge to Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, and included all of the Arabah east of the Jordan as far as the Dead Sea below the slopes of Pisgah. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. So last week, uh, we wrapped up just a month-long series in the Psalms. Ryan Zellner, walking out of the room right now, did a fantastic job. Um, I listened to more music this last week than I have in months because of you. I don't think any of it was particularly Christian, but it was really good music. (laughs) So thank you um, for that. It was great. Um, And that was it. We just did a month in the Psalms. And uh, this morning, we begin our summer series that will take us through the end of August, and we are going to be in the book of Deuteronomy by popular demand. I heard the voices of the people, and I've responded. So yes, you may have your wish, and we're going to be in Deuteronomy this summer. Let me put things down a bit. Um, We're not going to do a book study through... Sorry, I'm getting a little pop here. Let's do that. I think that'll be better. Um, We're not going to do a book study... Uh, 34 chapters in Deuteronomy, that would take a lot longer than the summer. But we're going to look at the core theme of Deuteronomy. In fact, a single word in Deuteronomy, you see it in verse 2. Look at chapter 5, verse 2 and verse 3. The Lord God made a what? Covenant. We're going to do a series on covenant. What does it mean to live life in covenant with the living God of the universe. That word covenant just means a a binding relationship of trust and devotion. And what is it like to live in this world as covenant people in covenant with God? And what Deuteronomy is, it's a reminder of the covenant. Okay. So um, in case you didn't know this, uh, I've lost control, Brett. I have zero control. Do you have control? Can you get me that first slide? Oh, and I too have control. No, I've lost. Yes, I'm back. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, The word Deuteronomy, in case you're wondering, uh, means Deutero means second. Namas means law. So Deuteronomy means second law. It's not actually a, a, a new law, but it is a reminder of the law, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel at Sinai. Quick, quick, quick quiz. What does Deuteronomy mean? Second 
great, you guys are listening, good, okay, good. So just a reminder of when and where Deuteronomy takes place. Of course, uh, we're going to have a lot, I got a lot of great pictures for you today, um, some, some really solid stuff here, fine quality things on the screen. Um, remember, uh, Israel's in Egypt, God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, here we go, they're walking through the Red Sea, they come to Mount Sinai, right, and God forms a covenant with them at Mount Sinai, gives them Ten Commandments and His laws. But then that generation of Israelites is not very faithful to God, and they end up wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, after 40 years, Dave Segner, what are you doing over there? You're supposed to be over here. This is so disorienting for me right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. That was just really, really unhelpful for me. Um, When you guys move around, it's really disorienting. Um, Sorry. Covenant at Sinai. Uh, new generation, finally God says, all right, it's time to go into the promised land. So they come up, uh, up through the eastern side, uh, right to the edge of the promised land on the eastern side of the Jordan, the plains of Moab, just about to enter the promised land. And that is where Deuteronomy takes place. Moses is now speaking to this new generation of Israelites, okay? Many of them were just kids when they came out of Egypt. Some of them weren't even born. And so Moses is giving them a series of speeches, reminding them of the covenant that God formed at uh, Sinai. And really, this, this, this covenant lies at the very heart of the Hebrew scriptures, okay, of God's relationship with his people. I was reading a commentary this week that put it this way. Deuteronomy has been called the heartbeat of the Old Testament. Feel the pulse of Deuteronomy, and you are in touch with the life and rhythm of the whole Hebrew Bible. And I think that's absolutely true. Right at the heart of the Hebrew Bible is this theme of covenant, and Deuteronomy is all about the covenant. And we're going to be at the very heart of the book of Deuteronomy this summer. So the way that the book breaks down, uh, you have the first three chapters, Moses uh, just reminds them of where they've been in the past 40 years, and then you get Chapters 4 through 11, really the covenant foundations, the key principles and dynamics that shape the relationship between God and his people. The Ten Commandments are in these chapters. Uh, And then you get in chapters 12 through 26, very specific laws, like very detailed specific laws about how Israel is supposed to live. And then it ends with this covenant ceremony that God performs with his people. And there's the passing of, of the leadership baton from Moses to Joshua, okay? We're going to camp out this summer in chapters 4 through 11. It's the very core of Deuteronomy. Again, the basic principles and dynamics that are supposed to shape this relationship with God. And I would argue that everything we're going, to, we're going to look at, this is very relevant for us today. This is not like, you know, Israel and it's, that doesn't matter anymore. What I'm going to say is incredibly relevant for us today. You get into chapters 12 through 26, then you start to get some detailed laws that, that do not apply to us as new covenant Christians. But 4 through 11 is, is central. It's what it means to be in a relationship with God. Um, it also becomes clear that these chapters specifically were huge in Jesus' own life, his own sense of identity and calling. It's clear he spent a lot of time in Deuteronomy chapters 4 through 11. And when he was out in his wilderness experience for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, every single time with each temptation, he responds somewhere in Deuteronomy 4 through 11. All right? So this really shaped his own sense of being in covenant with his God. And I would argue it should shape our sense of that today. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to camp out in these, these chapters. Uh, Deuteronomy was given to a people on the move, right? 
this, this group of people who had come out of a particular culture in Egypt and then out of the wilderness, and then they were, they were entering into the promised land, a whole different culture. And so before they did that, God was reminding them of the covenant, reminding them, this is what your identity is. This is who you are as you move out into this new culture. And so we're going to look this, this summer, what does it mean for us to step into the culture that we're living in today, now 21st century American culture, as God's covenant people, having this firm identity and then moving out into a, an interesting cultural context with that identity intact. That's what we're going to talk about uh, this summer. So um, what I want to do this morning is just, I want to just tell the story of the covenant. Before we get into you know, specifics, I want you just to hear the story again of God's relationship with his people, okay? Because I think that's the most helpful thing rather than like give you principles. Let's just hear the story. And the principles kind of come out of the story once you've heard the story. Uh, And then at the end, I'll tell the story, give about 15, 20 minutes to tell the story. And then I'll spend the last 10 minutes just asking the question, how does covenant relationship with God differ from what I would call cultural Christianity that we see around us a lot in the church in America today? All right? Are you ready for a story? Okay. You get to sit back. Don't fall asleep. You know, it's morning. It's not an evening story, but, you know, get to just listen in. I've got some amazing images coming your way right now. Powerful, powerful stuff going on. Um, Let me tell you the story. Let me get, that's what I need right there. All right, so the story begins in Genesis 1, right? First 11 chapters of Genesis tell the story of the creation. And it begins in verse chapters 1 through 2, this beautiful place that God creates. And he creates these creatures who are the pinnacle of his creation, his image bears. He says, go out, rule over this creation, be fruitful. And then beginning in chapter 3, we see that these image bears choose independence from God, right? They choose to go their own way. And chapters 3 through 11 depict the rapid spread of sin throughout the human race and then throughout God's could creation. And so you're left at the end of chapter 11 with the question, what is, going, what is God going to do with this problem of these sinful image bearers? Like, how is he going to solve this problem? And in a word, God's solution is covenant. Okay, that's how the story goes. He is going to enter into a covenant with a specific person, family, And through that family, do something unique and special that will then spread to the rest of the human race. All right? So here's how the story goes. Beginning in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, this guy. And we're not given any reason why God chooses Abraham. It doesn't say Abraham was particularly moral or special or bright or anything like that. He's a pagan living in a pagan society. And God just chooses this guy out of God's own free will to do that. God just steps into his life, says, Abraham, you and me are going on an adventure together. And he gives him this radical call. I want you to leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. Leave everything you've known. I've got this new land and you're going to just pick up with your family and go to this new place. And with that call comes these amazing set of promises. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will bless all the nations through you. It's a staggering promise, especially in the ancient Near East society. You could be made into this great nation. I'm going to bless everybody 
through you. So Abraham and his family begin this journey, this adventure with God, and they move into the promised land. And while in the promised land, God forms a covenant with Abraham. Uh, One night, he takes him out to the night sky. This is is Genesis 15. He says, look up at the stars. Count them if you can, and you can't. And he says, guess what? So shall your offspring be. As many stars as you can see, that's as many offspring you will have. Which was an interesting thing to say to a guy who was like 85 years old at the time, or I think maybe 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. They hadn't had any children. They couldn't have children by any you know, human means at that point. But he says, I am going to give you so many offspring. And then God performs an ancient Near East covenantal ceremony with Abraham to kind of bind the deal together. And let me read to you from uh, Genesis 15. Okay, just try to follow this. God said to Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these, and he cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces, the animal pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. Okay, I bet none of you have ever performed that covenantal ceremony before. Uh, Let me just give you the visual here, right? God says, okay, bring me a goat. Abraham gets a goat, cut it in half. He cuts it in half, right? And then God puts Abraham in a deep sleep, okay? Deep sleep, right? I know it's powerful stuff happening today. In the ancient Near East, kings would enter into covenants, and they'd perform a covenant ceremony. And what would happen is both the kings would pass between the two sides of the animals, walk back and forth between them. And what they were saying is, we are now bound together, okay? And if I break covenant with you, may this happen to me. May I be broken into the way these animals have been broken into. That's ceremony. And what happens is God's presence through this pot and torch passes between these two animals to say to Abraham, we're in a covenant together. And if I break covenant with you, may this happen to me. Now, it's interesting that God doesn't have Abraham actually pass through himself. And there's lots we could say about that. But what I think Part of what God is saying is like, hey, I am unilaterally going to be responsible for this covenant. I'm going to make sure I fulfill my end of the bargain. I'm going to make sure you fulfill your end of the bargain. This is ultimately up to, to, to me. But we're going to do this. We're going to engage in a covenant. So they begin this covenant relationship together. And you look at the rest of Abraham's life, and it's this adventure in covenant with God. And he came out of his land. He wandered in the promised land. He went back and forth between Egypt a couple times. He had to fight off enemies a couple times. Uh, it was a, an adventure in patience. He had to wait like 25 years from when God promised the child to when Isaac actually came. It was this adventure, this journey in faith and learning how to trust God. And it was a wild adventure. All right. So Abraham's descendants then go down to Egypt, right? They remain in Egypt for 400 years. At some point during that time, they become enslaved and they become very oppressed by the Egyptians. And so that takes us to the book of Exodus. And you're going to see these same themes from Abraham played out in each of these stories. 
And Israel is under persecution, right? They're oppressed by the Egyptians. And God steps in the beginning of Exodus through the person of Moses. And he says to Moses, I have seen uh, the misery of my people. I have heard their cries. And so I have come down to rescue you. Let me read to you from Exodus 6. This is God speaking. I am the Lord. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay? And he does that, right? He rescues them. The ten plagues brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, brings them into the wilderness, takes them to Mount Sinai. It's also called Horeb in our passage, but it's Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, he enters into a covenant with the people of Israel. He shows up. And the mountain, right? It's rumblings and fire and smoke. It's wild. And he enters into a covenant with them. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. Let me read to you from Exodus 19. The Lord God called to Moses out of the mountain saying, thus you shall tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now listen to this covenant language. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are my treasured possession, my called out holy people. And he performs an ancient Near East covenantal ceremony with them at Sinai. Uh, Let me read to you from Exodus 24. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Listen to this. You'll get an image of it in just a second. And Moses took half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. Yeah, right, right. Uh, And Moses took the other half of the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. It's an ancient covenant ceremony, right? There's an altar and Moses takes blood and sprinkles it on the altar. And then he literally takes blood and sprinkles it on the people. This is the blood of the covenant. This blood marks you out as my covenant partners. Today, we would talk about, we'd say, we're blood brothers, right? And we're in this together, God is saying. You're my people, I'm your God. Covenant. And then they go off in this covenant relationship with God. And just like with Abraham, it's this wild adventure, right? (laughs) Forty years wandering in the wilderness, largely because of their unfaithfulness, but learning the journey of faith, the adventure of faith, trusting, having to trust God for food, for water, for protection, for provision, all right? 40 years in the wilderness. Finally, they came up, come up to the eastern side, ready to cross it into the promised land, and that's where Deuteronomy picks up. So now we have the second generation of Israelites, okay? Just ready to go into the promised land. And now you have God 
entering into covenant with them just as he did with their parents 40 years earlier. Through Moses, God says, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 7. We'll look at this passage again next week. Listen to this language. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For in fact, you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Reminding them of the covenant, my treasured possession. And by the way, it's not because you're any more impressive than anybody else, but simply because I love you and I'm faithful to my covenant. At the end of Deuteronomy, he performs a covenantal ceremony with them. What he does is he brings them into the promised land, but before he does, he says, when you get there, I want you to take six of the tribes of Israel. I want you to go to the top of Mount Gerizim. We'll call that one the left mountain. The other six tribes go to the top of Mount Nebel, And the six on Gerizim, I want you to pronounce the blessings of the covenant, how well it will go with you if you're faithful to this covenant. The other six tribes will pronounce the curses of how poorly it will go with you in the promised land if you are unfaithful to this this covenant. Deuteronomy 30, let me just read it to you. After this ceremony is performed, God says this, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then this new generation, they embark on this covenant relationship with God and it is a wild adventure in the promised land trying to defeat the nations that are there, living in the promised land, um, sometimes obeying, sometimes not, getting kicked out of the promised land, going into exile, coming back, but all the while learning this journey of faith with this covenant-keeping God. All right, are you with me in the story? Yeah? You're all still awake. This is good. Okay, you see this theme. God initiates relationship. He steps into people's lives. He chooses them and he forms a covenant with them. He performs covenant ceremonies and then he sets them off on this wild adventure in relationship with him. Just so we don't think this is just an Old Testament idea, let's look at how this plays out in the New Testament. Okay, let's look at this. So, first century Israel, there's these fishermen sitting on the, in their boats on the side of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And this rabbi comes up to them, steps into their lives, kind of out of nowhere. They're just these ordinary guys. There's nothing special about them. And he says, hey, I want you guys to come follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Journey with me. We're going we're to enter into relationship. Follow me. Learn to live life with me. And they do. And they embark in this journey with Jesus. And towards the end of his life, isn't this the best Last, sup- last Supper depiction you've ever seen? Um, What he does the night before his death is he enters formally into a covenant with them. He says, you are now my friends. You're my treasure possession. You're not my servants. You're my friends. Remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you and and appointed you 
to go and bear fruit. And he enters a covenant. And he performs a covenant ceremony. We call it communion. He takes a cup. He says, this cup is my blood. It is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this. And this bread is broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. No longer is the blood sprinkled on the people. They actually drink it. And it's ultimately his death, his sacrifice with them that that forms this lasting covenant and this ceremony of remembering his death. And then he returns to heaven. And these disciples set off on this wild adventure of faith. (laughs) Three years with Jesus in Israel. And then after that, beyond Israel to the far reaches of the earth, as, as Ryan said, to all nations, this wild journey of faith. And then you have these these. Churches popping up in the, in the New Testament. And in each case, you hear this covenant language, the same Old Testament story language applied to them. Just let me give you one example. First Peter. This is written not just to Jews, but to Gentiles also. To God's elect, strangers in the world, but chosen by God the Father for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. This is New Covenant language. And then he says this. Listen to all this covenant language. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. This is us today. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the journey of faith continues today. All right? So that's the story. That is the story of God's entry into covenant with his people. And I want to end just briefly by having looked at that story, just acknowledging together how different covenant relationship with God is, how different that is from cultural Christianity, okay, that we see in the church in America all over the place. So let me just briefly describe cultural Christianity. Um, If you are engaged in cultural Christianity, uh, here's what it feels like. First off, you identify yourself as Christian, okay? When the survey comes, you check the Christian box, okay? And you do that uh, either because you had parents who checked that box and were Christians, and so you kind of grew up in that culture, and you, you basically kind of just took that on almost by osmosis. Or you do it because at some point in your life, you looked at the options out there, And you decided Christianity made the most sense of the options, all right? You might have looked at atheism, you looked at other religions, and um, you thought, you know what? I think Christianity makes the most sense. And so you identify as a Christian, and you generally identify with Christians. And that identification maybe informs your political leanings. Uh, Maybe it informs some of the cultural practices you engage in. You might go to church. Uh, you might be in a small group. You might even read your Bible from time to time. You might even pray, especially when life gets hard from time to time. Um, but the key is that's kind of where it ends, okay? All that, but that's where it ends. And, and the key is this. You continue to experience yourself in the driver's seat in your own life. Okay, that's what Christianity, that's what it is, is you continue to experience yourself being in the driver's seat. Okay? You're, you're living 
according to what makes sense to you. And God, God makes sense, right? And so you do that, and God might even, you know, you bring him in. Like Jesus is riding shotgun with you, right? Like you are doing life. Like, God, you add value. You add value. You come, and, and, and we'll do this. Okay, that's cultural Christianity. Uh, <laughs> when you're in a covenant relationship with God, um, that doesn't feel like anything like what I just described. Let me just say that, okay? Um, none of the people in the story I just told would relate with anything that I just described. You think about Abraham. You think about Moses. You think about the people of Israel. You think about the disciples, okay? That's not how they experience life. They, they, they would not tell you, hey, I was just doing life, and I was just kind of surveying the options, and I just kind of chose this one. Yeah, this is the one I want. <laughs> they would have described something very different. They'd say, hey, I was... I was living life, and then this presence <laughs> came into my life. And this, this person, the person, came into my life and started doing stuff. Like, he started working on me. He started pursuing me. He, he kind of he grabbed hold of me. I, I experienced myself as being acted on by somebody who, who grabbed hold of my life. And in some ways, that experience was beautiful. It led to life and transformation. In some ways, that experience was kind of scary. It was really unsettling. It, it threw me in this new adventure that I hadn't planned, I wasn't prepared for. Uh, but that's, that's how it went. They would describe a relationship with a person. And what every one of them would say would be this. I guarantee you, in that relationship... What was really clear is that I was no longer in the driver's seat, okay? They would not say, you know, I, just, I experienced my life. I was driving in a car, and I saw Yahweh, you know, the God of Israel, on the sidewalk. And I said, Yahweh, you look good. Like, hey, come into the car. Let's, let's do this. Come into my car, and let's do this. That's not how life happened. They, it was just the opposite. I was on the sidewalk. This car pulls up. Yahweh rolls down the window. Hey, Hey, why don't you come with me? He, kinda, he actually kind of grabbed my arm, put me in, shotgun, strapped the seatbelt, doors locked. We're going somewhere. Right? I mean, that's how they would all describe their experience. And that's how it is to be in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. It, it, you're, it's not just part of a system you have or a set of cultural practices, but you are in a relationship and you feel bound by it. Okay, that's the key. And you feel caught up in it. But you are bound to this person who's done stuff to you and in you and through you. And I want to leave you with, with these two ideas. To be in relationship, in covenant relationship with God is first to experience God's pursuit of you as first and foremost. Not your pursuit of God, but God's pursuit of you. What you get is an experience of God's pursuit of you. What you lose in that experience is control over your life. Okay? You get the pursuit of God in your life. And, you know, I, I was thinking about covenant. What's interesting is there's never an example of the Bible of a human being initiating covenant with God. It never happens. God is always the initiator. And then people respond, or they don't respond very well. But God is the one who initiates. And, and that is, in our lives, to be in covenant is, in some sense, to experience yourself as having been pursued 
by God. At some point in your life, God steps in through various ways and starts working on you, starts grabbing hold of you, okay? And that's not to say we're not making decisions and choices in the midst of it. We are, not denying that. But at this deep level, God's work in us is primary. And I would love to have an afternoon together for all of us just to be able to share the story of our life with God. Some of you would have some really dramatic stories to tell, right? Dude, I was just living life. I was doing my thing, and then a bomb dropped in my life. And God brought this person and this experience and this book, and it was like, whoa, and it just kind of happened. Some of you would have much more subtle stories. Oh, this took place in, in, in a... A hundred small ways, this, this event and this moment and this thought. Uh, but all the while, there was this season where I began to realize, you know, God was, God was at work. And yeah, I was, I was making choices. I was working. But man, I, I experienced myself as being acted upon in some way. And the beauty of that, when you begin to experience yourself as pursued by God, is you look back on your life with a profound gratitude. You, you don't look back on the story of your life and go, look at all these, these good decisions I made along the way. <laughs> you look back, and what you see first and foremost is the hand of God, working sometimes in spite of yourself and your brokenness and your bad decisions. But you experience, oh my gosh, I see the footprints, the hand of God throughout my life, and you're left with a humbled gratitude. And as you then look forward to the rest of your life, it leaves you with this deep sense of assurance about the future. Because like, if God's pursuing me, if he's grabbed a hold of me, then this thing isn't up to me in the end. It's up to him. He's a faithful covenant partner, and he's going to stay faithful to his covenant. And that's what's going to make this thing work is not my ability to perfectly perform, but it is his hand on my life. And yes, my decisions absolutely impact the relationship, right? (laughs) I can really screw things up and, and have consequences and he will discipline me. But in the end, this thing works because he is going to hold on to me. I've seen it in the past. I can trust it in the future. I love we sang that song at the beginning, he will hold me fast, right? That's what gives me confidence. He's pursued me. He's grabbed hold of me. And he will not let go. I have a profound experience of that. Every time I take my three little girls to the tide pools at the beach. Okay? We'll go to the tide pools. And we'll go sometimes. We'll be in some pretty rocky terrain. Our three-year-old cannot manage to navigate that on her own. So oftentimes I will hold her hand through that. And sometimes she wants to hold my finger like this. And, and I tell her, honey... I need you to let go. Let me hold on to you, okay? If this thing is up to your grip, it's not going to go well. If it's up to my grip, we're going to be perfectly fine, okay? And honestly, every time I, do, I have this reminder, this is, this is the relationship. If this is up to my grip, <laughs> may not go so well. But if it is up to the God who pursues me and never lets go, I can live with a great assurance, all right? So that's covenant is to experience yourself as being pursued, grabbed hold of, and never let go by God. You gain the gratitude and the assurance of God's pursuit of you. Now to finish this off, what you lose 
in that is control. <laughs> okay? All the Israelites, all those covenant partners, they lost control. They were thrust in this wild adventure that was out of their control because they were not in the driver's seat anymore. God was. And practically speaking, what that means is if you're in covenant with God, you no longer have the freedom to do whatever you want to do with your life. <laughs> Simply put, you're in covenant. You're stuck. I think I put this on your, on your bulletins. I love this quote. If we've chosen Jesus, we retain control, right? Jesus, hey, get in the car, you know, ride shotgun. We retain control of the relationship. We determine what role Jesus has in our life. We determine what role Jesus plays in our vocation, in our relationships, in our leisure time, even in our choice of movies and TV programs, right? I can kind of drop you off when I want and bring you back in. Uh, but if we allow Jesus to choose us, there is inherent in that action a relinquishment of control of the relationship to Jesus. We're in the car. He's driving. We don't get to decide what we do with our lives anymore. He decides. We're in covenant. We're stuck. We're bound. Right? Seatbelts in. Doors locked. And what that means also is we're no longer in charge of our own spiritual growth. Okay? And this, the older I get, the more I am aware of the fact that I am not in control of my own spiritual growth. In a much deeper level, God is in control of my spiritual growth. And here's what I mean. Spiritual growth does not happen like New Year's resolutions, okay? It's not like, oh, 2019, this year, I'm going to grow in my ability to be patient. And so I work that, and I figure that one out, and then in 2020, I'm going to work on forgiveness. You know, I mean, I can do that, and I can make small measures, but the way our spiritual lives actually work is this way. God's like looking up there and is like, Okay, this year, I'm going to teach you dependence. Boom, bomb dropped, right? Okay, I'm learning dependence this year, right? I mean, you look back at your, your major sources of growth. How many of you would say, I anticipated, I chose it, I went after it, and that's how I grew? Sometimes, but I guarantee you, the vast majority of times, we'd be like, yeah, no, I hadn't predicted it, I wasn't looking for it, didn't really want it, and God was like, this is where we're going. You gain God's beautiful pursuit of you. You lose control. <laughs> you enter into the, into the adventure. So that's what we're going to talk about this summer. How do we do this covenant relationship where God pursues us, where we respond to him, um, where we're bound together with the living God of the universe? So let's do this. Let's close in prayer. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes. And I would love to give us just a moment of silence um, on the front end of this series for you to just consider with God right now. Just be honest. Like, are you living as a cultural Christian right now? Or are you, do you feel like, you know, I'm actually living in covenant with God. And just, just be honest and just say, yeah, this is, this is where I'm at right now. Um, but you might want to ask God some questions you know, right now and this week, um, gosh, have I, have I experienced your pursuit of me? What I just described, have I actually experienced that in my life? Or, you know, what, what would it actually look like to give control to you? I mean, what, what does that actually mean in my life? So let's just take a minute and just make an honest assessment. Just, you know, sit with God and go, yeah, this, this is where I'm at. And what might it look like this summer to move towards this deeper relationship with you, God, to give you control?